this week we've gone back to basics. Uh, in fact, every January we take the first four chapters of the Science of Mind textbook and sort of reinterpret them. The very first Sunday of this new year, we talked about the nature of God itself. God is all-powerful, all-wise, present everywhere. Truly that God is everything. And last week we said, well, if that's true, then the other thing that has to be true is that that means me, that each one of us are created out of God's stuff, that each one of us has the spark of the divine within our own hearts and our own minds, that truly each one of us is an individualized center of God, of that spirit ourselves, that, that we can't escape from it. And in fact, that sometimes I talk to people and they'll say, well, I'm a great seeker of God. And I'm thinking to myself, well, look no further. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, let's find a mirror. There's, there's, no, there's no great trick here. Uh, today, we're going to amplify that just one step further. So if God is all there is, and that includes me, today I want to talk about a little bit about the mechanism of what God does, how, how God shows up in the world as me. You know, how does that, how does that work Exactly. Well, I don't know if we'll get to the exactly part, but but I'll, but I'll do my very best. And I think a great place to start is literally quoting how this chapter begins. So here's what Ernest Holmes, the, the founder of the Science of Mind, what he says about this idea. He says, we are surrounded by a mind or an intelligence that knows everything. That the potential knowledge of all things exists in this mind and that the abstract essence of beauty, truth, wisdom, they all exist in the mind of the universe, that we also exist in it, and that we may draw from it. But what we draw from must be drawn through the channel of our own minds. And so that is what it does. God simply responds to our thoughts. So whatever we hold close to us, the, the strongest of our beliefs, the, the inner knowingnesses, the truths that lay in our heart and our mind, this is what, as Nancy said in her prayer, these are the things that God says yes to. And the more clearly that it's in our heart, the more firmly that we believe a thing and embrace a thing, the more quickly we'll start seeing more evidence of this in our lives. And it's the, the ancient teachings of, of Jesus and people, you know, even long before that, the idea that it, it is done unto us as we believe, as we truly get it in our hearts, as we truly understand a thing, as we truly believe something, it's like the universe will connive on your side to help bring more evidence to you. You know, if, if it's really firm and luscious in your heart that love is for you, you will see the face of love in everyone you meet. If it's really clear and poignant in your, in your own mind, in your own heart, that life is rich and that you're going to experience the fullness of it, whether it be a, a beautiful song, right? Do we want to be gliding in that way that she so beautifully sung? I think so. And when that's what's in our mind, when that is our belief, then it will be so. All right, so, so far you're saying, all right, Larry, this is fine, so what's the problem here? Well, the problem is that this sword, if you will, of righteousness has blades on both sides. And there's a little problem with using this tool of our mind, and, and it's not really a problem. I'll just say it bluntly, it works all the time. 
And so it's not just when we feel like we're gliding on the infinite zephyrs of a loving world that we experience God working for us. God's also working for us when our thoughts aren't quite so wholesome. And I thought I would illustrate this uh, with a joke. So, an avid duck hunter was in the market for a new bird dog, and he thought he'd never really find a dog as good as his old one. He finally settled on a retriever with some experience and a great pedigree. I'm a little disappointed, he said, though. The dog really costs too much. As the hunters approached the duck blind, the dog ran ahead and dug out the leaves and some litter left behind the other hunters. By the time they got to the duck blind, it was all cleaned up and nice, and the dog sitting there calmly looking proud of itself. Well, I'm a little disappointed, said the hunter. That dog was kind of noisy. Probably scare all the ducks away, but that wasn't the case. In fact, soon a steady stream of ducks flew overhead. The hunters fired, and one duck fell. The dog responded immediately. The dog, however, did not jump into the water, but instead walked over it. Calmly picked up the duck, returned to the blind. Not a single paw got wet. As the dog dropped the duck at the hunter's feet, the hunter sighed, Well, I'm a little disappointed. The darn dog can't even swim. <laughs> now, have you known people like that? Yeah. Haven't we all known people that just no matter what's going on and how beautiful life is, they will find the flaw in it. They will find something that isn't going well. They will find the, you know, it, it's like it could be a sea of goodness, right? And they'll find the one thing that sticks out as not being good, seize on to it, and just be with it, almost promote it in their own lives. Now this is the other side of that sword, because if we hold on to that which is unwholesome, if we hold on to that which is painful or feelings of lack or negligence, if, if we are in that place like the hunter of being disappointed with our own lives, trouble is, we could be floating in a sea of goodness and we're not even going to notice it. Everyone around us might say, what a, what a charmed life you have. What a great job you have. What a lovely marriage you're in. Do you know what I mean? And you might not even recognize it if it's yours to experience. And certainly if you're wanting to bring in new levels of abundance or new levels of love or a, a heightened awareness of how good life can be, if that's not your belief system, if in fact you harbor some of the beliefs of the opposite nature, God's saying yes to that too. So what is in your heart? You know, a lot of us have these ideas, and I call them the wishful hopefuls. Does anyone out there have the wishful hopefuls? It's when life isn't quite going right, but you know that there ought to be a better way. It's when maybe work is more difficult, or a relationship is going not as good as it could be, or, or when maybe you got fired from a job, or whatever. But there's this little bit of wishful hopefulness. Someday maybe I'll have a better job. Maybe a better relationship could be for me. The trouble is, the wishful hopefuls stay at that same level of energy. And there's something behind them usually 
when we're only at the stage of wishful hopefulness, isn't there often another voice in play? Sometimes, I'll, I'll just be personally confessive here, sometimes it's the voice of my mother, <laughs> I think. So, sometimes the voice of a maiden aunt that used to be somewhat strict with me, and that little voice is saying things like, why do you think you deserve a better relationship? You know, no one in this family has ever particularly had a decent marriage or a decent relationship. It's like, look at your grandparents, always fighting, right? These are the kind of voices, whether you recognize them up front as being loud and clear, or whether they're kind of whispered in your subconscious, these are the voices that will sabotage you because God says yes to them too. And if they're a voice that has been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years saying the same message with some assuredly, you're not good enough, you're not capable enough, there's a part of you that's undeserving or not smart enough. Whatever the message may be, if it's unwholesome and yet it's something that you have had in your heart as a belief, maybe passed on by your mom or, or, or someone else important to you, but nonetheless, lodged here and lodged here, this is the message that God is acting upon because it's the loudest one. It's because it's been the most consistent one. It's the one that has been with you through thick and thin. And unfortunately, it's been the one producing a lot of the thin. <laughs> it's, it's the one that's been producing the very evidence of lack and not good enough and, and, and too poor and too constrained and not healthy enough. That is what's producing that. So how do we make a change here? You know, Sharon is always so very glib when she says, just change your thinking and you'll change your, <laughs> yeah, she's giving me the eye now. <laughs> just change your thinking and you can change your life. But it's a little trickier than that, isn't it? When those thoughts have been swirling around for 20, 30, 40 years, how do we begin making a change? Well, I want to use an example you know, tomorrow is, uh, is our celebration uh, of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is a man that had an idea. This is a man that had perhaps an outrageous idea in his time that equality was something that was important. That the ability to really experience freedom in living in this great country was something that had been denied to a large number of people. And it was in his mind that this was not going to continue through his lifetime. And no matter what, even his own advisors told him of the dangers of taking off this kind of cry for equality, that, that no matter what the, the personal dismay might come to him, it was so important to him. It was as though, how do I want to say it? It was as though the liberty bell rung again in his own mind when he talked about equality, when he talked about freedom, when he talked about the races being together in a way that was meaningful, when he talked about every person on, well, certainly in the U.S., but I think his vision was bigger than just the U.S., when he talked about all of us getting along together and the basic human and dignity rights that we all have, not an ear, no matter where he spoke, not an ear was deaf to this. And do you know why that is? It's because it was the truth with a capital T. Now, we all know about truth with a, 
lowercase t. And that's just kind of the facts and the figures of life. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's true that the sky is blue on a day when the sky is blue. And, and we can, and, and we can, I mean, we can say those things. Those are like the wishful hopefuls. I mean, they're true, but like, so what? You know, and tomorrow the sky will be gray, <laughs> more likely here. But when someone says a truth with a capital T, it cannot be denied. And this was the essential message of freedom and equality that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke, and it could not be denied. And did it bring him trouble? Oh, yes. And did it bring the country trouble? Oh, yes. Because with great change, there are risks. With a powerful, changing message, there, are, there is the, the humanness that gets in the way of people and sometimes in recognizing that truth. But it's not like we could go back. When the truth is spoken, you move forward. You move forward and you move through it. And so, what do I know about each person in this room? Each person here, every one of you has the same power within you that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had. Each of you may have a dream. Each of you may have an idea of something greater for your own life, something greater for this planet. And each of you has the exact same connection to God that King had. Each of you has the same power, the same presence, the same ability to make change for yourselves and on this planet as Dr. King. Now, are we all going to exercise it? I'm holding out for a yes. I am, because I see that potential in each one of you. I absolutely see it. And, uh, and I'm not going to deny it. I'm, I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. I'm not going to say that each person here will not absolutely exercise that level of freedom and power in their lives. But there's also this little practical part of me and I do secretly suspect that we might not be all up for that level of greatness that Dr. King had. And so I want to use another example that's smaller and more personal. But I think it will illustrate the same power that our thoughts have, the same power that, 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 our, emotional, that our emotion life has when we put that oomph into our thinking. And I was reminded of this story because of our cold weather outside. And about, I think it's about seven or eight years ago, I lived in kind of a drafty old house in northeast Portland, a beautiful house, actually. Uh, but it was a little on the drafty side. And, and it had its problems. And one of the problems was it seemed like no matter what we could do, uh, the dog was always escaping the fence. And I had this ancient, ancient little rat terrier. And she was a rat in more than one way, not just because she was a terrier. She was about this big, weighed about five pounds, nearly hairless, quite cantankerous, and at the age of 16 or 17, also quite blind. And it was on a night, uh, not unlike today, it was about 25, 26, 27 degrees out, and she blew the coop. She got out of that, that old fence and out into the world. It was completely dark outside. She's 16 or 17, arthritis, completely blind. And we knew that we had lost our dog. There was a place in our heart that we just said, you know, this, this is the end. We scouted around the immediate neighborhood and, you know, completely dark outside now. We had no idea of how long she'd been gone. 
And in fact, uh, you know, I don't want to make light of this, but that kind of creepy picture of Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining was in my head. You know, the picture of the frozen body. I mean, I, 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 mean, I know this is creeping you out, but that, that was kind of the picture in my mind, this, this nice little dog frozen to death somewhere. And certainly uh, survival outside at 20 degrees, you know, when you're basically hairless, this is not a good, this is not a good thing. And so what do I do? Well, the human part of me has already kind of written her off. I mean, I'm zooming around the neighborhood, you know, yelling and knocking on doors, but in the mental images in my head, she's laid out and we're ready for the funeral. That's the picture I had. And, of course, I just became frantic. My, my heart was full of shame that I had allowed my, you know, pet to escape. I'm uh, filled with the frightening picture of her being dead. And thank heavens at the time I had started practitioner studies. Thank heavens at the time I had a good idea of how to do affirmative prayer. And, in fact, we're going we're gonna to learn some of that next week uh, when we continue on with this series. But I almost immediately, after that initial franticness, centered myself. I was about maybe three or four blocks from the house, out towards Sandy Boulevard, which was the other thing. It's like if she didn't freeze to death, you know, the traffic was right there, nice and strong. But I centered myself, and I kind of got down on one knee, and I did a prayer. I simply did a prayer. And, of course, as we're trained, it was a positive prayer. And so quickly in my head, I'm thinking, well, all right, I don't want to think of her as dead. I don't want to think of her as lost. What are the opposites of those things? What would I really want for this sweet old dog? And so I immediately came to think of her as safe. I immediately began thinking of her as warm, as loved, not lost at all, but found in the arms of God. And as soon as that little phrase in my head, the arms of God, came up, then I had even a mental picture. And I pictured her in a blanket in my own arms, being held lovingly and safely. And you know what? The combination of the, the passion around this suddenly it was though the coldness just disappeared from the world. And there I was with my arms like this, actually feeling warm and, and at peace and content. And she jumped into my arms. Now there have been people, when I have talked about my, my, my miracle of, of finding Sophie that night, who have said, well, Larry, that's not a miracle at all. It's like, come on. It's like finally in the prayer you took some time to slow down and you, you went down on one knee in a, in a kind of a, you know, she's probably peeking at you from the bushes and <laughs> sort of hoping you'll slow down a bit. <laughs> you know, this, this is no miracle. This is just you being in, in a better frame of mind to, to find her. And to that person, I replied, yes. And is that no less a miracle? Now, I don't pretend to know how God works in the literal way, the mechanics of how God works, but I know that God works. 
I know that for each one of us that has a need or a strong desire, a belief in something better, that nothing short of miracles are available to us all. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own lives. I've seen it in the lives of so many people right in this room. We are ripe for healing anything that has gone wrong or is suboptimal in our lives. We are ripe to experience the full power and presence of God, even as Dr. King did, even as we are part of God. So God, that infinite majesty, that pure strength, that, that capability and wisdom of the ages is primed to do great things. And whether you don't see yourself quite ready to be a world leader, well, okay then, let's start small. Let's start in something where there's a need in your own personal life right now, whether it be a lost dog or, or a better job that you might want, whether it be uh, bringing back together a family that has become estranged from one another, whether it be a relationship that could use some help. And I don't care whether you call it a miracle or whether you just call it slowing down for a few minutes to really know what's important. What I do know is that God is present. What I do know that as we hold in our own minds and our own hearts some passion around what's important to us, it can be something as large as the civil rights movement or it can be something as small as a relationship between two people that needs to be strengthened and healed and God responds equally and most resoundingly with yes, this can be done. So where I'd like to close today is with just a little bit of homework. You know, we've escaped a few weeks here without any homework, but I would like to suggest that you might do it because if we want to change our thinking, if we want to focus in on a better way of living, we got to know the thoughts that are running around in our own heads right now. We need to know if there are some beliefs and lack of limitation. If, if that thought in my he head exists that marriages never work out, oh my gosh, how do I counter that? If the thoughts that are in my head is I'll never amount to much, oh my gosh, that's huge. We need to know what's in there in order for us to make changes to it. So what I'd like each of us to do this week, and I think it'll actually be kind of a fun exercise, is find an area in your life where you'd like to make some changes. Now, maybe it's a significant area of healing or improvement, but just pick an area. Maybe you want to strengthen a relationship and make it even more beautiful. Maybe you want to focus on a new job or a new way of being. Pick an area in your life do a little journaling, and, and I say journaling, but you know you can even speak it aloud if you're not much of a writer, and I'd like you to write down everything that you believe about that subject. So let's say that you wanted to work on kind of your own abundance in life, your own ability to be comfortable and live well and comfortably. Let's say that was it. So write down literally everything you believe about that whether it's, uh, you know, a man is king of, of his castle or uh, a money, a fool and his money are soon parted. I mean, just write down all the, and I, you know, I'm getting weird here, but, but, write, <laughs> but write down all of the weird and spurious beliefs that you have about abundance in your own life and take a real look at them. Do they reflect what you want to believe? If you don't feel that you deserve a grand life, I got to tell you, being wishful, hopeful isn't going to change that. So let us find out what we believe right now, 
bring it with you in your mind next week. And next week we're going to learn some very proactive tools for then changing that around. But homework this week, think of an area in your life that you want to change or you want to enhance and write down or think about, do some proactive thinking about exactly what your beliefs in that area are right now. And you might even begin thinking ahead a little bit, which of these beliefs are actually limiting me right now? Uh, if maybe some of us believe that we'll never earn as much as our grandparents or our parents. Some of us may believe that all marriages, y you know, end up in despair or, or trouble. Some of us may believe that uh, an addiction can never be solved. If these are the beliefs, they're important. Bring them with you next week, and, and we're going to learn a little bit more. I'm going to close uh, with another quote. We're going to close with... Uh, the ending um, statement in this particular chapter. Here's what Ernest Holmes says. When we think, something happens. Period. The field which thought operates is infinite. Here and now, we are surrounded by and immersed in an infinite good. How much of this infinite good is ours? All of it. How much of this infinite good do we have to use? As much of it as we can embody. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life. And what I know about life is it's infinite. It's good. It's wonderful. It's here to serve. It is that sweetness of a, of a loved one's smile. It is that infinity that is abundance. It is a, a great job and a, and a loving partner. It is, a, it is our fondest desire. This is God and so much more. And I know that means me. I know that I have access to this good. And as it is true for me, each person in this room is a divine center of God and good. And the degree to which each of us orients our thinking, our beliefs, our thoughts, our ways of being towards that good, God says yes. And I'm simply grateful for this knowledge. I'm simply grateful in the power of this teaching for us to make this a world that works for ourselves and a world that works for everyone. I just let it be, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much.